What is the state of every Pac-12 team? We're gonna grade them based upon relevance, stability, recruiting, and future outlook. Players skip bowl games for the NFL, but will they skip bowl games and seasons for the XFL? What's going on with the coordinators in the Pac-12 North? And what's up with the Rooney Rule as far as Marvin Lewis getting a fake interview with the Dallas Cowboys? I'm George Reister with Ralph Amston, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. You guys can uh, please leave a rating, a, a five stars. Or if you have any questions, comments, anything, you can always send them in. We address those at I'm mad. I am a D. I am M A D at unafraidshow.com. Thank you guys for listening. Let's get to the show. And make sure you always share the feed and tell a friend about the Pac 12 Apostles. Uh, Ralph. Yes, sir. <laughs> there's so much going on. <laughs> Man, there is so much going on in the Pac 12 everything else but before we even get into the state of every pac 12 team I, I i was looking at this whole xfl nfl thing you know vince mcmahon is starting his new league and it looks great but i'm looking at it from the potential impact on college football and also how it affects the name image likeness how the NCAA handles that. And we got players sitting out bowl games, which makes sense. But I'm wondering, will they start sitting out seasons to quote unquote, prepare for the draft and go to the XFL and make money like players doing the NBA with the G League? I think that it, it just depends on if that's right for you. You know, we've what we've seen in the last few years is I think we've seen a lot of players take the risk of trying to leave early and they might not have been ready to do it but they just kind of have that basic need um you know it would it would be nice for them to 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 try to be able to do that you know to to say like i'm i'm kind of done with the college experience it's not for me or maybe there's a coaching change and they don't want to wait to transfer you know, if, if the XFL can be a successful league, then maybe it can be an outlet for some of these guys that are actually trying to make a career of this, but don't want to have to go through the prescribed uh, route to get there because this is one of the only sports that really sort of funnels you into having to play um, as part of the NCAA system before you get the opportunity to play professionally and the opportunity to play professionally is really only one league. And so I am always all for more options. The more options, the better to me are some people going to make the blatantly incorrect decision. Of course. I mean that you live and learn and that's, we've seen a lot of that um, in the pac 12 lately. I mean, I'm a, uh, I'm a, I'm a Wyoming fan. I think they had a quarterback named Brett Smith who had one good year and uh, and no NFL team wanted to touch him when he when he uh, declared early for the draft, and so he ended up playing what two years in the CFL or something like that before he was all done. You know, Arizona State had a guy a couple years back, JoJo Wicker, who you know from my time interviewing him, you know he was he he was playing football so that he could play football professionally. He he wasn't 
you know, I remember asking him a question one time of what his favorite class at ASU was, was and he said, uh, I don't know what it's called, but it's online, and we took a field trip. And it was right then. <laughs> it was right then that I knew, like, oh, you know, JoJo Wicker's definitely in it for football. And so he declared early uh, the second that he got a chance to, to uh, go to the NFL, and I don't think he was ready. And so, you know, you, you see stuff like this all the time. It'd be nice to have another option out there, whether it works as a fallback for guys who declare early and don't get drafted or guys who maybe feel like they're just done. Because, you know, one thing that we really have to come to grips with is the fact that with the amount of coaching changes that go on at the college level, a lot of politics are involved in who plays and who doesn't. You know, it part of how you look as a coach is whether or not the guys that you recruited are performing and they can't perform if all things being equal, you know, the guy that, that you, you tried to recruit over has the same skill level or maybe a tiny, tiny bit more, you know, than the one you're trying to bring in. And so I think in a lot of those cases you see, you know, younger players play over older players uh, and, and we as fans buy into the idea way too easily that people become washed up just instantly when the truth is the scheme changed or the politics changed or preferences changed. And it'd be nice, you know, for some of these guys to not have to, uh, you know, if, if they did have some NFL prospects to not have to go through the, the um, ringer of, you know, whatever stigma they get from transferring or whatever stigma they get from ending up on the bench um, and, and maybe try out the a professional league. Um, you know, who knows? The XFL was such a weird thing the first time around. I don't have any faith that it's going to work this time around. Um, I, I had my fingers crossed for the AAF. A little known fact, I actually I named yeah, it Arizona's like team. It I don't was know if gonna... you do that, George. Yeah, the Arizona no. Hotshots, that was me. So I, I was a little bit bummed when they went away. Uh, but yeah, I, I my hope is that the XFL works and that there's enough financial backing for if they do take a hit. Uh, for them to stick around because I think longevity is really the key that and big name quarterbacks. I mean, that's what you're not going to be able to thrive as a league unless you get some name recognition at the quarterback position. Yeah. Vince McMahon has a boatload of money, the WWE's public company. So they have the money to be able to sustain success or to be able to sustain a league kind of like the big three has and not make money till your second or third year. Like they have a war chest to be able to do that. I think he he divested what a couple hundred million dollars from his from the WWE, and they have other investors. And he tried to tried to start a league previously, and it failed. So this looks like that he didn't give up, but maybe that he's just trying again more more smartly. And I love. The, the rules and innovations, which we'll get to in just a second. But I think that if it if the model proves successful, because the AAF looked like an option, but it went away and supposedly it was, I mean, we don't know whether it was a technology play that it got bought. I mean, whatever it is, it lasted 30 seconds. And I actually played in the UFL, which lasted, I think, three seasons when I was trying to come back from injury. And that seemed like it might be going somewhere. But when you were in the inside, you knew it was kind of crumbling from from the uh, seams when you didn't get your check on time, stuff like, you know, it's weird. And um, but I do think that players have to 
recognize that it's going to take a couple years for them to recognize whether this is a successful thing. Because if you're a kid in college, you're like, hold up. Do I go in the transfer portal? Maybe have to sit out a year or, oh, okay. Prime, prime example, a kid like, uh, like Brendan Schooler who leaves Oregon ends up going to Arizona. Would it have been smarter for if the, um, XFL was an option for him to go to the XFL play and then still and potentially be and play against other pros and former pros, whether they're Canadian league guys, former pros, guys that got cut last season, any of that and show his worth and then maybe get drafted or maybe get picked up as a as a potential guy. I think that that's a a legit option. But I want to know what you think about these rules, Ralph, because I think the rules are one of the things that is going to lend itself to potential success. So the season ends is not competing with the NFL in any way. They actually are encouraging players to go back. And it's a 10-game schedule that finishes April 25th, So, which I think is going to get moved back a little over the next couple seasons the way players are potentially eligible for the draft well i mean that first of all that's that's big just being able to potentially not double dip because i don't think you're going to see a lot of guys go back and forth um but to be able to go out and prove if you've been injured or to be able to go out and prove if someone thinks maybe you're 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 too old or washed up or whatever that you can still play at a different level then maybe possibly earn yourself uh, a camp invite or a contract in the NFL. So I think, I think that that's definitely something that's um, uh, could be advantageous. Um, You know, I, they got Oliver Luck in charge of the league. I don't, I don't think that, you know, that, that that's a serious football mind. You know, this isn't like Vince McMahon standing at midfield making weird faces He's a little bit too old for that anyway. And so I, I don't know. I think the the schedule that you brought up, it it could be helpful. You know, how much do we really crave football anyway? You know, we always complain all offseason long that there's no football. But is that part of what makes the appeal of football great? You know, is the fact that we do spend all that time waiting? It, it's It just remains to be seen if we're going to support this as a product. Yeah, and the, and the new rules are so, <clears throat> which I'm a huge fan of of World Cup soccer and not regular soccer as much because I hate when games end in ties. I want there to you to play till there's a winner, and that that is the most American thing possible. So they're gonna have shootouts if if it's a tie. It's going to be like the World Cup or the NHL. You get five chances to score from the five-yard line. And then there's the catch rules, one foot in. There's going to be a spotter, 25-second play clock. Um, There's a bonus for winning. There is a – yeah, there are a lot of things that that should make it – oh, and then also extra points are worth one, two, or three points. So you can either take an uh, and there are no no kicks, though. So you got to go for it. So you can either go from the two, go from the five or go from the 10, whether it's worth one, two or three points. So if you're up nine, the game's not over. They've essentially eliminated the need for a kicker, except for the fact that 
they they you you do need some skill at that position because they're trying to make it they're trying to bring back the excitement of the kick and punt return which has sort of gone the way of the buffalo in the NFL for safety concerns and and other reasons athletes just being bigger stronger faster more emphasis on special teams and all that um i don't that's the one rule that i don't i'm not 100% sure about because it i it's one thing to like the pendulum swings back and forth on what we do like and what we don't like uh, I I like to I like to think that savvy business people understand that people complaining about something doesn't mean they want it the complete opposite, right? So the one thing Correct. that I've seen a lot of people complain about is that the kickoff and punt are going away slowly, and eventually kickoff will be gone completely. I believe that with all my heart, and I'm you know it's that that's just the way that it is. Um, but that doesn't mean that people want. Um, Unless they had, but I, I'm no, saying like j- knowing that that the kickoff has gotten less and less exciting, um, whether for skill level increasing the, where the yard line they kick off from, or even the fact that they just go you know commercial kickoff commercial, so it there there's not even room for it to be exciting, and you're making people wait through two commercial breaks. You know the, those parts of the NFL are no fun, but that doesn't mean that people want more risk. Like nobody wants to see somebody not be able to get up off the field, you know? And so, yeah, well, well, what they're talking about doing is, is putting the, that the, you would kick off from the 30 and they would put the players on the 35 and the 30 respectively. So they wouldn't be running at each other and c- colliding with each other. So and any kickoff that goes out of bounds, you would get the ball at the 45, no matter what, like it just increases you kicking the ball inbound. So no more coffin kickoffs. Um, Sorry, no, no more coffin punts. Like you got to punt the ball and the punt team can't run down until the ball is, until the returner catches the ball, That's, I think, or yeah. something like so that. So the, the, on a kickoff, the kicking team cannot run after the returner until they've caught the ball or until three seconds after the ball hits the ground. So there's no onsides, I guess. Um, I guess that's eliminated, which seems strange because you would want to have the ability to try to get the ball back. Um, but yeah, so I, that, that part of it, you're going to have some high speed collisions, man. Like, uh, I don't know. We'll see. I just, I don't, I don't want to see anybody get hurt. You know, I would have been absolutely happy with with just trying to meet in the middle of saying like, hey, let's, you know, let's not go crazy and like allow the wedge, but let's just move the ball back to where it used to be kicked off from so that you have an opportunity for a return. Um, I think that that would have been a lot easier than than making it so that you can't even pursue the returner until they catch the ball, because. First of all, you're guaranteeing that that ball is going to get to like the 35 or 40. Absolutely guaranteeing. And you're guaranteeing that whatever happens at the 35 or 40 has a potential to be like super violent. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's definitely going to be interesting. I just don't want to see anybody get hurt just because they incorrectly gauged how much kickoffs made us be in love with football. I think people like football because it's on Sundays in the fall and it's part of your tradition and part of your culture. So, 
Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. There, there are some things that I, I would not be surprised to see certain rules changed if the XFL makes it to a year two. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll see how all that goes and how it affects college football and all of that. But you, you've had a couple of, you know, Pac-12 coaches, their names come up for NFL defensive coordinator jobs, coordinator jobs, head coaching jobs. And one of those guys was Marvin Lewis, who is the is he is he the assistant or associate head coach and analyst? Because the Arizona State has like 13 assistant yeah. associates, co-head coaches. There's a lot and going on on the coaching staff down here. But Marvin Lewis was brought in as like an offensive analyst. Um and so he's not allowed to directly coach the players. I mean, Kevin Mawai is in the same boat down here, the Hall of Fame offensive lineman. That's the one thing that I've noticed that, like, if the NCAA cracked down on, I think all 120 some teams would go into probation. Is that. Oh, oh, oh yeah, on analysts? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. They, they are saying that, like, you can't be involved in any direct coaching of the players, but I see analysts from every single team in in the Pac-12 talking to players at football games on the sideline like what are they talking about stuff that isn't happening in the game I don't understand so they're talking they're about, talking life, about life they're they're talking about life right. breathing meditation yeah. waste defensive of analyst down. right after a cornerback blows his coverage is over <laughs> it's over yeah, talking to the cornerback about zen techniques uh, unrelated to football, but yeah, so, uh, technically he's not allowed to directly coach the players. Um, and there was some talk as to whether or not maybe he'd move into a defensive coordinator role, um, with the changes that happened down here at ASU, but I think he wants to be back in the NFL. So I think this was just a place for him to refresh and recharge. I guess he has a home down here. He's one of Herm's best friends and Um, that's, that was sort of a nice thing for the previous coaching staff was that Todd Graham had Keith Patterson, who was like his college roommate. You know, you have somebody who can just kind of keep you grounded, um, on staff. Um, and that was his role here. And then all of a sudden he's in talks with the Redskins about their head coaching position. And he's in talks with the Cowboys about their head coaching position. Neither job ended up his. And, uh, it just, I think it reflects poorly on the, the, current state of things and 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 you know i don't want to get too deep in the woods here because there's a million different reasons why minority candidates aren't afforded the same opportunities and not a lot of them boil down to outright prejudice even if you got rid of outright prejudice you'd still have uh completely different starting lines um but but this definitely feels super weird that you know marvin lewis would be one of the only candidates in the country to get multiple interviews for a head coaching position and also be the one to not get any of them. Uh, What do you think the difference is, George? So coaches are, so what do, what do, what do they tell us about these coaching searches, Ralph? Well, I mean, they, they tell us a lot. I mean, it's it's always best man for yeah. the job or whatever, which is... It's, it, exactly. When you start throwing arbitrary terms around like that, best man for the job, um, um, it was the right fit. He, co- you know, 
the the right culture. You can like shoehorn or make anything fit where you want it to fit and not address the elephant in the room. Because when Dallas brought in Marvin Lewis as a coaching candidate, was am, am I the only one that thought that that was a, such an obvious circumvention of I the rule? I felt the same way when Dan Snyder did it. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm like, so you mean to tell me Jerry Jones, who Jason Garrett was not winning playoff games, but at least he won. A cup, what what did he win? Two? At least he won two. Marvin Lewis was in Kansas, I'm sorry, Cincinnati for 16 seasons, didn't win one playoff game. And you mean to tell me that you were actively considering hiring him? The only other person that you interviewed was Mike McCarthy, who you hired, who is a Super Bowl winning coach and won a bunch of playoff games, got to NFC championship games. And you're gonna tell me that he was actually considering. Hiring Marvin Lewis? Uh, The answer is no. And that's why it's frustrating because then people like, is that when when, uh, people say, oh, it was just the right man for the job, any of this? No, that's a lie. That's an absolute lie because because there aren't any defined, there aren't necessary steps that you have to take to become a head coach it's it's not like saying okay if you complete x y and z then you are qualified to be a head coach there is no actual test that you can take to know who's going to be successful but when you have the giants hire a guy like joe judge the patriots special teams coach and wide receivers coach to be the new york football giants head coach Mind you, they interviewed Eric Bieniemy, offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. Everybody's tabbing him as a potential head coach, and you draft this dude. I mean, you select this dude. You could have interviewed the Cowboys, Giants. Could have interviewed Deuce Staley, uh, Chris Richard, who was already on Dallas's staff, Leslie Frazier, Raheem Morris, any of these dudes. It's just absolutely asinine that this rule just keeps being circumvented. And mind you, when you have 75, 70, 75% of the players in the league are black, I don't believe that 75% of the coaches should be black. There should not be a quota. However, you have to think something is amiss and something is up if, if what, you, if these guys aren't even getting interviews, and they're not getting hired. It is absolute craziness because think about this. There are 21 new head coaches in college football in the NFL, including three additional openings. Two African-Americans hired so far, and then Ron, Ron, Ron Rivera. One of them was a recycled Willie Taggart, and the other one was a promoted Jimmy Lake. That's what you got. I mean, it's it's just inexplicable to think that there are possibly no guy that that none of them could be the best men for any right. of these jobs, and 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 then they're saying, and then people will uh, tell you, oh, well, do you think NFL owners are racist? They employ so many black m- millionaires. There's a difference between employing right. people and putting people in positions of power and and decision making. Now that is totally different. 
And it's not to say that NFL owners are racist or what, what, whatever you want to call it, but you have to assume that there's some sort of bias that goes into that. It's one of those like, oh, this person doesn't, quote unquote, look the part that I see this in, in, in my mind. That's like if I tell you to draw a picture of Jesus, what, what are most people going, going to draw? White, blonde oh, hair, David, blue eyes. Jesus. Hall for the goatee. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the same thing. I mean, it's like quarterback. If he's got quarterback face, he's supposed to be handsome, you know, the dashing, the girl's going to love him. That's what a starting quarterback looks like in people's minds. They cast it on television. They do it on all of that. And people don't seem to want to believe that that the same thing goes into head coaching. hire. Right. And I I mean, not that Mike McCarthy's a you know, looker, but I would say, I would say this, you say that there shouldn't be a quota. And I, while I agree with you in principle, we should not have quotas. And I, I mean, I got an issue with the Rooney rule in general, just because that's really all it is. Um, but you know, if like take a company like Mary Kay, uh, where let's, let's assume that like 95% of the people that sell Mary Kay for a living are women selling a product to other women. And when it came time for Mary Kay to have a new CEO, they didn't interview any women or they interviewed one woman out of five candidates just because it was the law. Like maybe there shouldn't be a quota, but like maybe you should also understand that if the league is made up of people from a certain like ethnic background or socioeconomic background, that 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 like that would be something that other people would have the ability to relate to in a leader, being able to see yourself in a leader, being able to see what you could possibly attain as a leader. And and, and I just think that it's it's absolutely ridiculous that we're in a position right now where like young up and coming black coaches aren't even getting the opportunity to interview for the process with this Eric Bieniemy thing, hiring a wide receivers coach from New England over him. You know, unless it comes out that he came out and just turned the job down, uh, what you're saying is that other guy is better than him, right? That's that's what you say when you make a hire and you bring somebody in. You say that they're a better fit. You're saying they are better, that they're going to be a better coach. They're going to be a better fit. They're going to be a better leader. So, when, you know, when it comes down to like Eric Bieniemy, that's that's even more insulting to me than when it's Marvin Lewis and it's obvious that, you know, an owner is just looking to check the box off um, on the Rooney rule interview process. If it was up to me, you eliminate the Rooney rule completely. You have to interview five candidates minimum and you have to make those interviews public. And so like, yeah, people will still hire who they wanted to hire. uh, But at least you'll go through the process of getting a bunch more people the experience of having to interview and maybe you change somebody's mind, but we'll find out if there's, if there's no racial requirement, we'll find out where certain owners hearts are at, even though I think we already know. And again, it might not be out and out prejudice that's fueling some of these decisions, but it's just absurd to think that like people get this idea in their head of who should be their head coach. They don't give anybody else a chance. It's just, it just ends up being nepotism. And, and I mean, we, we talked yep. about this, you and I talked about this, George, when uh, Ray Anderson hired Herm Edwards, that Ray Anderson had spent all this time, his entire career trying to break up the boys club, right? Like trying to make sure that other people got a shot. 
And what did he do when he became uh, in a position to be able to make those hires himself? Hired his friend, right? So it's it it, it just goes to yep. show you that it's it's not always about uh, out and out prejudice. It really just comes down to who is in your circle and who do you trust. And rich old white guys have a circle full of rich old white guys and tend to trust people who look like them. That's all it comes down to. And so that is reflected in exactly. the head coaching uh, hierarchy of, of the NFL as well as the interview process. And it's it's just time that it changes and the Rooney rule has not done anything, uh, I don't think, to, to, to move things in the direction that – that they should. There was one other thing I wanted to bring up, which was that uh, somebody tagged me in in this, um, but that uh, a recent study um, pointed out that, uh, and I think this is actually from the Global Sporting Institute at Arizona State, um, that they found that exiting white head coaches were hired for other NFL head coaching positions at twice the rate of head coaches of color, 14.3% versus 7.1%. It's not rocket science, dude. It, it I mean, that is, it, it, it's funny that people want to say that they want to assume that that sports is always a meritocracy. It's not. There are politics in play. There are, there's nepotism in play. There's a good old boys club. And if you're not in it, it's impossible to get in. I mean, like if you took blind resumes of, of Eric Bieniemy and Joe Judge, the Patriots wide receivers haven't been good. When was the last time the Patriots wide receivers have been right. good? When was the last time their special teams were just freaking it's stellar? Been a few years. <laughs> I mean, like, come on, bro. Like, like, it, unless this dude comes in and is Jim uh, John Harbaugh, the Giants are a joke. They wanted Matt Rule, who would have been a legitimate head coach. Nobody could have argued about that. Matt Rule versus Eric Benemy. Okay, whatever. But uh, somebody just asked me. They said, "What does Eric Benemy need to do to get a, a coaching uh, uh, to be a, a head coaching job?" I said, "He needs a new paint job. That's what he needs." Right. Um, I just, I, yeah, I don't know. uh, You're absolutely right. I I just don't know. I don't know what it's going to take. Um, I I did like that when, you know, I I saw something that you had put on Twitter that it's definitely going to take more, uh, more African-American coaches on the offensive side of the ball, which means more African-American quarterbacks essentially. Um, And so maybe it's just a matter of being 10, 15 years out from being where we should be but that doesn't mean that we 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 shouldn't kick up dust every time uh you know eight head coaching uh openings uh open up every single year and you know seven of them are 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 filled by recycled you know 500 white dudes yeah if you're if you're marvin lewis though is there a point where you say no i'm not coming to come interview i could i mean I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I know it shouldn't be his responsibility because he's trying to, because he wants to work and wants opportunities. But if you know that that's something like that, I mean, but then that goes to what Colin Kaepernick did where he was like, this isn't a real thing because when NFL teams want to bring you in, they just bring you in. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I mean, it shouldn't be his responsibility to turn down an interview, but it, 
do you turn down an interview? I don't think that you can look at Marvin Lewis and say, like, ah, this is your fault because they just would have done it to somebody else. Um, what I will say is that it would not break my heart to see a group of people get together and refuse to interview um, one year, you know, because we're going to have eight coaching changes next year, just like we do every year. It would it would be very interesting to me to see a community of coaches organize and refuse to interview outright just for one year so that nobody could be in compliance with the rule um, and see what would happen there. But, you know, if if that, that's a tough that's a tough scenario to organize, that's a really tough picket line to not cross when you believe in yourself and your abilities, you know, and Marvin Lewis was a head coach in the league for a really long time. He knows he can do this. So why why would he be under the impression, having coached a decade and a half in the NFL, that he would be anything other than a serious candidate, especially if the other one is Mike McCarthy, especially if Marvin Lewis never once had the resources that it would have taken or that he would have received in Dallas. Never did he have the resources in, in yep. Cincinnati that he would have received at the hands of Jerry Jones. Those two could have made a hell of a team. Um, so in his mind, you know, why, why would he buy into that? You want to be an optimist. You want He was in the league for 16 years. He's not going to consider the possibility that he's the one that's, you know, being used in, in this scenario. But I think it's pretty obvious to, to the outside eye that you only interview two candidates and you go with one of them. And the one you went with is the white guy uh, in the context of our country's history and this league's history. Uh, what else are you supposed to do other than say like, ah, that looks like everything else looks. Yeah, but yeah, but Ralph, they, they employ so many millionaires, Ralph. They, they make hey, vegetarians rich. sell hamburgers. Like you, you do what it takes to get paid. And so. Yep. And they know that they can make them billions. So they don't. So they understand that paying them millions is a is a is a must only because they unionized only because of Kurt Kurt Flood and, you know, Reggie White and people like that and other people who crossed the picket line and were able to challenge in federal court. Like, Come on, man. But uh, we can get back to the Pac-12 Pac now, Ralph. It is, uh, it is time for the state of the union of the Pac-12. The state of the union of every team in the Pac-12 conference. <laughs> I guess we can take it down <laughs> a little bit because we're just so hot on that, man. It, it, I'm still just obviously bothered, but... <sighs> and that was a terrible trend transition now that I think about it. I was like, wow. I, like, how do you take it from way up there? You take it, you take it to, to the conference all the way. that actually does employ minority candidates. Like, yeah, I'm, uh, let's, oh, let's talk about the, the one conference that actually does a really good job of making sure the best man for the job has the job. I like that, Ralph. Wait, see, see, look, this is this is why it takes a village. Um, so we're going to rank the state of every Pac-12 team based upon four criteria. Relevance, which means topical re relevance, pop culture, newsworthiness, and is all publicity, good publicity. 
stability was the second category, which means coaching turnover, your overall record. Are you flatlining? Are you trending in the right direction? Is the arrow up or down? Recruiting, literally results-based. I mean, are you getting good recruiting classes, bad? How And what is the what is the vibe like in the streets of, from the recruits about your team? And last but not least, future outlook in terms of Pac-12 national champs, championships, Pac-12 championships, or national championships and being in that conversation. So, uh, I, I, Ralph, you had a great idea earlier because I was like, what order should we go in? And Ralph just said the most sensible solution. Just go in alphabetical order. Just go in alphabetical order. I was like, <laughs> okay, that that makes things so much better. Easy as ABC. <laughs> so, um, and we're scoring it on a 100-point system. 100-point system. You get 25 for each category, and we will go from there. We will start out with the first team, the Arizona Wildcats, the Arizona, formerly known as the Arizona Amsons, because uh, <laughs> Ralph, <laughs> because now that Khalil Tate is gone, Ari- he no longer has the responsibility of carrying their water and everything, of yeah. wearing the burden. Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, I want to acknowledge that like this scoring system is is I mean it's one way to do it, but it's definitely uh, when you equally weight relevance, stability, recruiting, and the future outlook of the program. Um, you know, obviously those things aren't necessarily equal. Some things are going to be more important than others. Uh, being a relevant program sort of maybe influences the rest of it, especially if that relevance is good. Um, but uh, this is the way that we chose to do it. And I think that when when it's all said and done, I think that the order of things and the score that we gave these teams probably accurately reflects how we feel about them moving into the 2020 season. Uh, so first up for the University of Arizona, um, I do not feel that they are a relevant program. Um, they, they struggle a little bit with sort of their location and not being a major media market. One of the things that makes them the most relevant right now after the departure of Khalil Tate is really Kevin Sumlin. And we talk about, you know, all press sort of being uh, relevant press here. Um, you know, it's not necessarily for the best of reasons right now, but I think that Kevin Sumlin being a well-known national name is what really gives them any relevance. Uh, they are not a stable program. They just uh, had a four and eight season. They back-to-back years of not going to bowls. They just finished firing Rich Rod, who was having uh, an affair and was got sued by the woman, uh, uh, by another woman who worked in, in the program. And they're dealing with that, um, that lawsuit, um, all sorts of wild accusations that are probably not true uh, that this lady made about just Rich Rod's behavior. And um, I mean, crazy stuff like like he knew of Zach Hemela's drug problem before Zach Hemela overdosed, like just real ugliness in the program down here. The the attendance is down. Uh, winning is down. Um, so, you know, I gave him a pretty low score there uh, recruiting. They're currently 11th of 12th in the uh, in the Pac-12 and the recruiting has not been great the last couple of years and future outlook to me is also not something that that, that looks very good either so 
uh, all said and done, the highest score I gave them was in relevance. I gave them a 10 out of 25. Uh, I gave them fives across the board after that to give them a total score of 25 out of 100. Ouch. That's pretty bad. Yeah. Ouch. Well, well, okay. So I gave them, I, for all the reasons that you said, so relevance, I mean, their negative publicity has been so bad that all publicity can't even be good publicity (laughs) for them. I I mean, it's so bad. I mean, I I remember watching a, uh, a real sports thing about the track about the track oh, yeah, coach. Awful. Uh, Just a terrible story. And so, yeah, so I gave them a five for relevance. They actually should want to stay irrelevant for a couple, for a little bit, or try to put some money into research, hopefully, that they can come up with something, come up with something great that they can get <laughs> some good press out there. I gave them a five for relevance. I gave them a nine for stability only because, I mean, Kevin Sumlin's there and they brought him back. And he's got a contract, so I guess you're sort of stable, right? Maybe. And then I gave them a five for recruiting. Like you said, 11th out of 12th in the Pac-12. You know, barely held on to their to their best recruit. He was talking about maybe signing with San Diego State. It, it was just a zoo, dude. Recruiting's not going well, which is what Kevin Sumlin was brought in to do. And future outlook. It is awful. I gave them a five for that for a grand total of 24. Oh, so you're even harder on them than I was. Yeah, yeah. I, I, when I first heard your score, I was like, ouch, Ralph. And then I looked at mine. I was like, well, no, they got a 24. That's terrible. It's terrible. Um, so from I, – I just don't see anything positive happening at Arizona right now. I mean, I, I obviously the the men's basketball team seems to have escaped some uh, some FBI trouble for at now. least for yeah. now, but but I I don't even I mean and their head coach made it through after being on tape I mean all sorts of things, but it just doesn't seem like this football program is going anywhere fast. They have no shot of winning the Pac-12 anytime soon. Within the next two years, for that would sure. Be, that would be the biggest surprise. Uh, so, and, I, and then it would really come down to like uh, Grant Yanell running Noel Mazzoni's system so perfectly that they never even have to worry about defense. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a tough road for Arizona to get back. Dude, they would they would need to win the to win the entire Pac-12, which include would include beating. Oregon, Cal, or Washington in the Pac-12 championship game next in the next two seasons, or maybe throw Stanford in there too. I mean that that would be that would be an Angels in the outfield level yeah. miracle. Uh, <laughs> the next team up, Arizona State. What do you have for Arizona State? Uh, well, I mean, as far as far as relevance goes, I gave them a twenty out of twenty five which, you know, I, I think we got a decent audience of some Arizona State listeners that might think that that's ridiculous. But the truth of the matter is, until they uh, are beating USC in recruiting and on the field, um, you know, that's still that that's going to continue to be an issue. Nationally, Arizona State is looked at sort of as the um, the SoCal like fallback school, right? Like, 
the one you go to if you don't get into your um you, the school you really want to go to because you're guaranteed to have a really really good time there um and i think that you know outside of maybe very recently that's kind of been how it's been viewed by some uh football recruits um also relevance comes from winning uh and uh, arizona state it just came off their third consecutive seven win regular season uh, and just got their first bowl win since 2014, but did so without scoring any touchdowns on offense. They have had a few players drafted, um, and at the same time, they stay in the news for, you know, dumb stuff like Lori Laughlin going to jail because she doesn't want her kids to go there. You know, like it's it's um it, it's interesting because I think Arizona State is the most populous campus. I think anybody who has any experience at Arizona state, whether coming into play um, as a road team or just, you know, coming in to visit family or just going to school there absolutely loves it, but they still have to overcome that sort of weird um, national reputation of being not as good as other schools. Um, Stability. I put it at 18 out of 25 because while it really feels like they have a, a cornerstone and rock in place, at head coach who isn't planning on going anywhere. Um, this is sort of the swan song of his career and that he's really bowied by Antonio Pierce sort of being the assistant head coach and everything like that. They've had to replace coordinators four times in the last five years. And so that really affects the ability to run any consistent system or have any consistent success. And a lot of that's been because some of those guys are getting promotions. So I don't want it to, you know, count too hard against, uh, um, Arizona state when people are coming to take coaches from you, but when it happens every year, it really keeps you from um, being on solid ground. Recruiting is going well. It's not going as good as it could go. They're still um, are, are in a situation where, you know, they aren't going to have any senior offensive lineman next year without some grad transfers and only one junior offensive lineman. Um, so while they are doing a great job at skill positions, offensive and defensive lines are, are still kind of a problem. So I gave them a solid B, you know, a 20 out of 25 there. And future outlook, I think that they look good, but I don't think that there's really any guarantees there. Um, you know, Jaden Daniels is a fantastic quarterback and um, who did, a, a, in my opinion, a fantastic job of protecting the ball. They, he had a plus 11. Uh, in interceptions um, in the in the eight wins that they had last year, which means he threw zero and Arizona State's defense went out and got 11. But in those eight wins, he only had nine touchdown passes. So if he steps it up and he grows, maybe that should be more than a 20, but I have it at a 20 right now, which gives them a 78 out of 100 uh, uh, total score. I came up with the same score, but a different way of getting there. So I gave Arizona State a 20 for relevance. My reasons were a little bit different. It's just from their star factor. They have Jaden Daniels, who could be the future of the Pac-12, could be a Heisman Trophy candidate, and players have wanted to come play with him. Herm Edwards, big national name. Obviously, the the Arizona State brand, in terms of football nationally, is not very it's not super strong like when people say arizona state nationally they don't say oh this is a team that's going to be tough like they don't say that yet or they don't say like you don't get uh like big respect from an arizona state win yet 
So I wanted to give it a little bit lower. Like if it weren't for Herm and for Jaden Daniels, they probably would have got about a 16 for relevance because I don't think anybody talks about them consistently in the national conversation. But this year they were ranked some, so they got some buzz there. And then you're going to get some Jaden Daniels talk coming up into 2020. And Herm will always help drive the needle as well, as long as as well as Antonio Pierce, Kevin Mawai, and other NFL veteran guys who bring some attention to the university when people write articles about them, even if it's not necessarily attached to the university as well or do pieces on them. Uh, I gave them a for stability. I gave them a 22. Um, I, I hear your point about the coaching change, changeover, uh, turnover with some of the coordinators, especially, but a lot of them did get promoted. And when you win and when people think you're doing a good job, you're going to get promotions. So, I mean, look at Alabama, at Alabama, their, their assistant coaches have been fairly unstable because they're all getting head coaching jobs. So, but at the same time, their head coaching and the foundation of the program is rock solid with Nick Saban and the way they do things. So I gave Arizona State high marks for that with a 22. Recruiting, I gave them an 18 because they're 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 hot right now. They're they're the new pretty girl on the on the side of the uh, that arrived on campus. Everybody's trying to holler at her. But the question is, can you keep can you keep that up? How long can you keep, you know, plucking guys out of Southern California? At some point in time, the the I get I I only gave him 18, even though this was a very successful recruiting class for them, because A, it could have been better. They need to bolster the offensive line. And then the biggest reason is because they missed out on kids from the state of Arizona. I don't think that they hit the state of Arizona hard enough. Like the the whole Cali thing, I see that marketing, 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 Cali, Cali, Cali. But a lot of good kids came out of the state of Arizona. I mean, so, yeah, so I thought that that was a place that could have been better. But in terms of future outlook, I gave him an 18 on that. Yes, uh, because next year doesn't look like a potential championship, Pac-12 championship team. Don't think the offensive line is good enough. You're going to be run, young at running back, young at wide receiver. But the year after that, in 2021, I think that this is a potential Pac-12 team, champion team, or team that can really compete for it. And I give them an 18. Uh, yeah, for a grand total of 78 points, Ralph. Okay. Um, yeah, the little sore subject there with the uh, uh, in-state recruiting, but they they did more than make up for it in uh, California, I think. Um, next up, we got Cal, and uh, this one is interesting because it's gonna feel uh, it's gonna feel harsh, but a lot of it just has to do with the fact that. Uh, I feel like they are overlooked. Um, and that's why I gave them a 13 out of 25 uh, just for relevance. Um, it, it, in order to get Cal uh, some national buzz, you know, it, you don't hear a lot of people talking about, you know, Justin Wilcox, even though, you know, people should be talking about Justin Wilcox maybe more than they talk about a guy like Mike Leach, you know, who um, he's out here building an up and coming program. Uh, and and has done a lot as an assistant uh, and is somebody who could have a bright future, whether that's at Cal or, you know, somewhere else in the Pac-12 or the NFL, um, you know, but for some reason that that Cal brand just isn't super strong right now. 
the one thing that Cal did for years and years and years was produce like superior athletes. Um, you know, we well, had Deshaun Jackson, but also at the same time, you had like five running backs in a row that all went on to, you know, to have a cup of coffee in the NFL or actually make an impact in the NFL. Um, right now, you know, outside of Evan Weaver, who got some love in the Pac-12, but not necessarily nationally, you don't really hear much about what's going on. Um, you know, stability. They did just make the change at offensive coordinator. They haven't had a whole lot of consistency when Chase Garbers isn't on the field. You know, you don't want that big of a drop off um, just from one player. Obviously, anybody's going to take a hit if their starting quarterback isn't good to go, but you don't want it to be the difference between being competitive and not being competitive. You don't want to be that heavily leveraged. Um, in one direction uh, for recruiting. Um, I have them at an 18 out of 25. And the only reason it's an 18 um, is because to, you know, to me, they're just nailing so many very, very good three-star recruits is that they're not getting really any marquee players. They're winning a whole lot of battles, you know, with teams like Utah, UCLA, stuff like that for, for some of these guys, uh, even with ASU uh, for some of these guys, but, but, you know, until they can get the attention of, you know, a couple of four stars and five stars that maybe you wouldn't expect them to get otherwise. Um, I I'm, I'm giving them an 18 out of 25 there. And then at future outlook, I think that they very much have the ability if everything goes their way, uh, which it really, you know, that's the one thing you can't depend on, but if everything goes their way, that this is a team that could potentially win the, the PAC 12 North uh, this year. And so, um, I gave them a 20 out of 25 could be higher, but you just can't depend on this team to stay healthy. And and you have to ask yourself if they're deep enough and if they're going to be able to replace enough people on the defensive side of the ball. But either way, I think they are going to be good. And that leaves me, uh, with a final score for them of 66 out of a hundred. And mind you, we didn't consult with each other on these rankings. This, I, I find it interesting. We came up with the same number for the same, for the, for well, two we were teams. One, one off on Arizona. Um, but we got there two completely different routes. For relevance, I only gave Cal a 10, which is only five points higher than Arizona. I, I just don't, like, nobody talks about Cal. Nobody. I mean, they, they aren't, into, they are like the San Diego Chargers. They got a lot of good stuff going on there. Good head coach in Anthony Lynn. But you're like, like, it's like a, I mean, they are the the dry eyes, clear eye guy. Just, hi, I'm, I'm here. They are the, they are the person who, who gets to be a spy, who can hide in plain sight. They are very unassuming. They're the people that you passed by and you didn't even notice. That is, that is Cal. I'm sorry to say it. But that's where they strike in relevance. They get a 10. But they do beat good teams, and they're very formidable, so they don't get a 5 or lower. They get a 10 because they're going to be talked about because they're going to win. Um, I gave them a 23 for stability. They haven't had a ton of coaching turnover. Tim DeRuder's still there. They're Gerald Alexander, their defensive back coach. Uh, you got Peter Sermon linebackers coach they've had a aside from getting rid of their offensive coordinator this year and replacing him 
with Bill Musgrave, who's a veteran NFL coach. He coached uh, for Oregon, former Oregon guy. He coached me in Jacksonville as well. He was our officer coordinator there for a little bit. So he should do he should do well at Cal. I don't think he's a world beater at office coordinator, but he is experienced. He's seen a lot of things and he should help Cal's offense elevate. Um, I gave them a 15 for recruiting. They're doing a good job for Cal, but they don't have that buzz on the street where um, I, I, whenever I talk to coaches, I talk, they always talk about logos. They say logos matter. When you're going in to go talk to high school recruits, logos matter if you have a certain logo on your chest it gets the the conversations are different you know and the coach told me the conversations were different when he went in as a when when he went in as a montana coach as opposed to if he's at a different at a pac-12 school it's a different conversation if you're at washington state the conversation is different than if you come in with a usc logo on Come in with Arizona State logo. Come in with an Oregon uh, logo. Those conversations are different. So I gave them a 15 for recruiting. They're recruiting good kids who are who are uh, turning out to be good players. But at the same time, it's not elite yet. And um, future outlook, I gave them an 18 because. Is this a team that can compete, contend for the Pac-12 North? Yes, especially with Chase Garbers as a junior. All of these things, I see it. The only problem with Cal, though, is is that I think that they're dependent on their coaches more than they are their players. That and by and by that, Ralph, I mean that they are more dependent on. Like their coaches have to scheme, coach them up, get them better. Like this is like a very Utah situation to where at some schools, like your talent can win you games. At USC, your quarterback and your wide receivers, breaking tackles, making jump balls, all these things. Like these things, players can overcome the coaching. At Cal, I think the coaching has to overcome the players a little bit more. So I give them a 66. All right. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I feel like Cal and Utah are probably in the same situation there, but Utah's just had a couple of more transcendent talents um, in recent years than, than Cal. Uh, Colorado. Uh, this is a weird one um, because a lot of the relevance of Colorado is just s- sort of based on the fact that like, there's still a lot of people out there that want Colorado to be good. Um, even though they really haven't been, they did have the one good year. Um, didn't sustain it back to back five and seven seasons and momentum is definitely in their favor, but I gave Colorado a 15 out of 25 on relevance just because it, it they're they are relevant in so far as they are Colorado's only major college football program um and they have the history that they have i mean if you ask people about university of colorado football yeah i mean if you ask anybody like name me the first university of colorado football player that comes into your head they're probably gonna say a quarterback Rashawn yeah, or, or Rashawn Salam or, or Cordell Stewart they're gonna go two 
two decades yep. back. Right. Like they're, and so, yep. uh, but those are still two very relevant names. You know, they, the Colorado did make a large impact in, in college football. Colorado is relevant. Like BYU is relevant, right? Like it's an important college football brand to a generation that is just maybe one generation, uh, uh, past due, <laughs> right? It's not, uh, and so, yeah. um, you can't say they are irrelevant and you'll probably never be able to say that they're irrelevant, um, but they're not winning right now and they're not doing. Yeah. But people have forgotten about the yeah. past though. Like the kids now don't, don't know that when I played, when Colorado was in the big 12, that they were a yeah. force that they were, that they were a real college football program as opposed to like a PAC 12 doormat, which is what and I think been. that that, that helps their relevance as well. Like, um, you know, uh, think about like, uh, you know, I'm in Arizona, the Arizona Cardinals are one of the most irrelevant franchises in the history of the NFL, but they'll never be completely irrelevant because they spent a really long time in the NFC East, right? Like then the NFC East is the like premier division of people who just are, are pay attention to football or, or, or <laughs> want watch games on Fox. You know, it's always Eagles, Redskins, Cowboys, Giants, uh, well, the Cardinals were part of that. And so to big 12 fans, you know, they're always going to remember Colorado a little bit and to pack 12 fans are still kind of getting used to the whole Colorado thing. And they did have some success in the pack 12 South. Um, anyway, I gave, I gave them a 15, um, for stability, you know, they, they're stable in so far as they've had back to back five and seven win seasons. But I do appreciate <laughs> that they did keep some of the staff, uh, from Mike McIntyre's time there. Um, and, uh, you know, defensive line, I believe wide receivers are, are the previous, um, coaching administration, Mel Tucker. Uh, I, I don't know how long they can keep somebody like Mel Tucker. If he is able to turn this program around just because he's bringing in electricity and he's doing so with, with, uh, connections into the sec, which always makes me wonder like how easy would it be to get him to go back? you know, and take one of these open jobs if he does have success at Colorado. So for stability, I gave them a 14. They have had some turnover, but they've also managed to keep things together a lot better than most. Um, for recruiting, I gave them a 19 just because of how much I love this class for them and what they're trying to do. You know, overall recruiting is obviously going to be a little bit different, but this class is such an important step forward for them that I, I, I kind of was a little bit generous with the scoring and a future outlook. I gave them a 15 because really nobody, nobody knows. And it's really all dependent on whether or not they get a quarterback that can get in there um, and, and push them past what they've been. Uh, but as far as, you know, most of the other positions on the field, um, I think they've done a pretty good job upgrading and I think they've got some decent coaches in place. And, uh, and I think they could have a bright future, which is why I kind of put them in the middle of the road. And that leaves them with a total score of 63 out of a hundred for me. That's that that's legit for them. And I'm kind of close to that. I gave them a 15 for relevance, which is more than Cal less than Arizona state because they do have history on their side. They do have a Heisman trophy, which they can show off. They do have championship trophies like they do have a meaningful history it's just trying to convey that story to younger players which is which which matters 
They have Mel Tucker, who came from the SEC, very successful head coach. Um, they are news. Their newsworthiness is is not super high, but they have a passionate fan base. Their fans actually show up to games, which which in the Pac-12 is a big deal. You have fans that show up, especially when you're when when not even when you're good yet. You're like semi good. You're like on the. There's actually a little bit of hope, and they show up. That's important. That's a big deal. Um, I gave them a 15 for relevance. For stability, I gave them an 18. Because I don't think that Mel Tucker's going going anywhere. That may be a little generous, a little high. I don't think he's going anywhere for the next few years at least because he's got to get it turned around. Like a 10-win season is not happening next year for him to land some major head coaching job. But if you take the Cliff Kingsbury model, he doesn't really need to anyway. Uh, actually, well, he would need a new paint job for that to happen. Um, but I gave him an 18 for stability. As far as recruiting, I gave him a 14 because the recruiting class is good. I think that they that this, like you said, it has a potential to be a cornerstone recruiting uh, year and that these guys in three years can be uh, uh, kids who can compete for a Pac-12 championship. So I gave them a 14 for recruit recruiting, but their future outlook, they're still a ways away from a Pac-12 championship or even being in the in a national conversation. I think they are at least two years away from being a ranked team, like regular, like throughout pretty much throughout the whole season and finishing ranked. Uh, so I gave them a 13 there for a grand total of 60, Ralph. Okay. Uh, that's not that's not too bad. Now, uh, if this was like a graded term paper, you know, that's a D minus. But I think uh, I, I think we're we're grading on a little bit of a curve here because my uh, next team up actually got my highest score, and it's not anywhere really close to 100. So uh, let's talk about University of Oregon. Um, Oregon is relevant in that they have, uh, I believe three Rose bowl wins in the last decade and have played in it four times and made a college football playoff, uh, as well as what they do with the uniforms, as well as just being the hub of, um, Nike and with some of their out of conference scheduling, uh, and obviously having some players that, um, are part of the NFL draft conversation. So um, the only thing that would make them more relevant is if they had a college football playoff win and or national championship. So I have them at a, they do have a college football they playoff the win. win Ralph. Yeah. They beat Florida, Florida state uh, 55 to that's whatever right. They beat the up on Jameis and, and, and ended Jimbo's uh, eventually ended Jimbo's ten tenure there. I think that was the beginning of the end for him. But so I have them at a 24 out of 25. Um, a national championship would have been the only thing that, that, that um, could have scored them higher. Uh, that I think there is still a lot of people who do not take Oregon seriously for that simple reason. Um, and then uh, stability, I have them. Uh, this is actually my lowest of the, of the uh, four scores. I have them at a 20 out of 25. Um, you know, obviously, you know, multiple head coaches over the last decade, an offensive coordinator who just took another 
um, coaching position. You know, you, you've had some stuff go on. Uh, you know, when in Willie Taggart's short time there, they had all sorts of nonsense. Um, you know, they did have a they did have a year where they were kind of down and out, um, but they've they've sort of built back up from there. Uh, some weird recruiting philosophies sort of cut into their ability uh, to to win, um, but they've been very very strong otherwise. You know, at the quarterback position defense is being built back up. So I gave them a 20 out of 25. Maybe that's not as high as it should be, but that's where I have them uh, recruiting. I have them at a 24 out of 25. I think that for being in Eugene, Oregon, which you've spent more time there than me, but I will tell you that like, I don't think that that program can recruit to that place any better than it does. Um, the only way that this would be higher is if they were bringing in top five classes consistently um, so for me, I got them at a 24 there and then future outlook. Uh, I have them at a 23 out of 25 because they still, you know, they, they, they do have to show that they've got uh quarterback and running back figured out. But as far as every other position on the field, I really do feel like they have the talent to compete for a PAC 12 championship year in and year out, not just in the North, but winning the championship overall. Um, the only way this would be higher is if they had a returning running back and, and quarterback uh, that, that I felt, um, you know, really positive about. And I do like Tyler Shuck, uh, but at the same time, you, you, you got to see what they can do when it matters before you go and give them a perfect grade. So that gives me an overall grade for Oregon of 91 out of a hundred. I looked at this team and I said, all right, where do they land in terms of relevance? I think that they are the most relevant program in the Pac-12 right now. I gave them a 24. They are, they're very, like they are in, in recruiting circles. They are the national, they are a national, like they can pluck kids from any state at this point in, point in time. Like not, not any kid, but they can get four-star kids. They haven't gotten any five-star kids from other from states out of the Pac-12 footprint. But they have been able to pull out, pull out high four-star kids and and highly rated kids from other states. And they are in the news. If they do something, people talk about it. There's the uniforms. There is the, I mean, just their Rose Bowl helmets got a whole lot of buzz just because of the way the sun reflected off of it was, was pretty cool. So that was a big deal. So they are nationally relevant. I gave them a 24 there. Stability, I gave them uh, lower marks than you, Ralph. I gave them an 18. And I gave them an 18 because of the coaching turnover. And I think that, Mario Cristobal, I believe he's there to stay, but there is a looming if the Miami job came open pretty soon that he could potentially leave for that. But that would be aside from Alabama opening or, you know, something like like that. There's only, you know, like Oklahoma, a handful of jobs that don't come open ever besides Miami, that he would potentially leave for. And so that leaves a little bit of instability there. But, I I mean, it would be hard-pressed. You'd be hard-pressed to leave what he's building at Oregon to try to 
do that again at Miami after so many people have been unsuccessful doing it lately. Uh, they don't have the same resources. They don't. I mean, it's just not it, my, Miami. They're they're trying to base it off the city without the budget, without the facilities, all of that, and it's just hard to compete nowadays with that. You can get all the Florida kids, but you know you need kids from other elsewhere as well. I uh, gave them a twenty-four for recruiting. Agree with you. The only way that they could be better recruiting is if they were pulling up top twenty, top five classes each year, and but they're doing an excellent job in the Pac-12 and, and stealing guys from <laughs> in the Pac-12 footprint. And USC fans are very upset, so they get a twenty-four for that. Uh, for future outlook, I gave them a twenty-three. They will be in the Pac-12 championship conversation every year. And some years they're going to be in a national championship conversation, especially especially if they continue to recruit at this level and put coaches in place. Then the future is pretty high. Gave them a 23 there for a grand total of 91, Ralph. Again, we are like same seats. Oregon State. Um, Oregon State is not relevant. Uh, I'm it's, it's, it would be interesting to me to figure out what it would take to get them to that point of relevance outside of just winning. Uh, I think there's some hurdles there. They put some guys in the NFL. You just don't really see them sort of repping Oregon state very often. It'd be cool to see, you know, Brandon cooks out there, you know, with a, a beaver painted onto his custom cleats or something like that. Like it would just be nice to see, then, you know, one of the most vocal ex-NFL players in the world is Chad Ochocinco. You don't really see a whole lot of, like, t- uh, things from him about his time in Corvallis. You know, not that he owes that to them or whatever, but, you know, that there, there are just certain things out there that could possibly make them more relevant that, that don't exist yet. Um, the, a signature win would be helpful going to bowl game would be helpful. You know, those aren't necessarily things that are happening. Um, Some people might look at the fact that I put them on the same wavelength as Arizona, as far as relevance as an insult. I don't mean for it to, to be um, to either school. I just think that as far as relevance goes, those two are at the bottom of the PAC 12 stability. um, Maybe this should be lower, but I did put them at a 15 and part of that's just having an ex player be the head coach. I don't think he's looking to go and take some high profile job elsewhere. They managed to hold on to their OC this year. They've had some consistency at the running back position, at the quarterback position. Um, you know, could the university turn around and fire everybody if they turn around and go four and eight next year? Maybe that's the thing that really keeps me from grading them any higher there uh, is the fact that they're not winning. Uh, recruiting, I have them at a 12 out of 25. I think they don't do as good a job as they could, but at the same time, they're not doing a bad job considering what it is they're working with. Uh, I think that um, it's a fantastic college town, and they do a really good job of getting kids to come in who want to have that college experience. And if you factor in the transfer market, I think that they've kind of been killing it as far as that goes. Uh, and then future outlook, I gave them a 16. Everybody who pays attention to the Pac-12 is excited about what their offense brings to the table. Um, Hamilcar Rashad returning is very, very big for them. Sort of a vote of confidence in what that defense could be able to accomplish. 
Uh, and so maybe, maybe that's a little bit of sunshine pumping, but I think that they definitely have a brighter future, um, than some teams in, in the pac 12, uh, and could potentially even go to a bowl as early as next year. So that gives me a final score of 53 out of a hundred for Oregon state. Oregon state is trending in the right direction. And for relevance, I gave them a five for all the reasons that you mentioned. They're not. Even even their coach is not necessarily a relevant coach in terms of the national conversation. He doesn't come with a big, uh, big name brand. People don't necessarily. Pac-12 fans will remember him as a quarterback, but the, like he's not gonna. If uh, they say, "Oh, we're gonna we're, we're gonna have Jonathan Smith on, Coach Jonathan Smith on," people are gonna be like, "From from where?" So that's why they get a five. Stability, I give him a 22. I think that it matters winning at Oregon State to him. And he, I'm not sure if he's a lifer, like a guy who's willing to stay there for a long time, like you had um, uh, the, the coach for Kansas, Kansas State in Manhattan. Oh, Snyder? Yeah, yeah, Bill Snyder. Him for a long time. I think that that could be a Jonathan Smith type move. And then every now and then they're going to pop up with a year and win the Pac-12 or be super close to it. Go to a New Year's Six Bowl game like they did in, what, 99 or 2000. They're going to have those years pop up with Jonathan Smith. Give him a 22. 10 for recruiting. It's results-based. They're not going to be high on the recruiting rankings. They're going to be, you know, if they're having a good year, they're going to be six in the Pac-12 and recruiting on a good year. So, yeah, they get a 10. 13 for future outlook. Yes, they are closer to a bowl game. They could have made a bowl game this year if a couple things broke right for them. I mean, just one game broke broke right. So I gave them a 13 there. They're nowhere close to a national championship. I, I, they're playing in the Pac-12 North, so they're kind of up against it. If they were playing in the South, I would have their future outlook a little brighter. Because I think the South is not quite as strong as having to play against Cal, Oregon, and 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 Washington every year, and then Stanford too, because they're usually really good. So that's kind of a, a gambit up there. So I think that you have to pay attention to that. So I gave him a thirteen there for a grand total of fifty. So fifty and a fifty-three. Uh, where we've been close. So there's, there hasn't been a school yet where we've been super far apart. Uh, and maybe this one will be it. Let's talk about Stanford. Um, I have a really, really high score for them as far as relevance. Um, and part of it is just that they're, you know, what they're the Harvard of the West, right? Like they, they have that academic reputation and now they're good in football. Um, and they get major, major recruits uh, who are, you know, who have the ability to qualify uh, to come in. Um, you know, David Shaw is somebody who is really, really well respected. And you hear his name come up anytime there's NFL coaching rumors. You know, somebody's whispering that name. And so um, Jim Harbaugh also helps, you know, people uh, think about, you know, his connection uh, to Stanford still, you've still got Richard Sherman out there, uh, making news, you know, you, 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 Christian McCaffrey led the entire, um, 
Uh, I, I think he, he led the NFL in total yards um, offensively this year and, and had a, um, a history-making season as a, as a running back. And J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is playing in a playoff game uh, this week. And so, you know, I think that, that they are, they're relevant in the NFL. Um, they're relevant in college football. They're still a destination school. The only thing that keeps this from being any higher is the fact that they're just not, you know, they didn't win uh, very much in the, in the last uh, couple of years, they've underperformed, I think to expectations. Um, but I do feel like they are a very relevant, very strong brand. Uh, stability I have is a 14 out of 25. And I think the big reason why I have this um, so low is all of the things that get in the way of them being a national powerhouse, which is, you know, whether it's their admission standards or the transfer portal or whatever's going on at their graduate school that makes their players need to leave <laughs> before their, uh, before they go into what would be their redshirt senior season. Um, you know, the, the injuries they've had at the quarterback position and having to start three different ones and then having last year's starter grad transfer out, uh, you know, that's, that's a big one being up and down season to season, um, I think is an issue. And then, uh, it cuts both ways. Always having your head coach mentioned in NFL conversations can affect your stability. Uh, you know, it can make your relevance good and your stability not necessarily as high. Um, so maybe that should be higher, but I have them at a 14 out of 25 recruiting. I've got them at a 19 out of 25 because, you know, they'll never be as high as they could be, or I'm sorry, I got them at a 21 out of 25, not a 19. They'll never be as high as they could be. Um, as far as their recruiting, just because they can't get their hands on every single player out there because they just have different entrance requirements, but they do land some of the country's best recruits at the tight end position at the quarterback position. And they do it year in and year out. And I think this year they've got one of the top offensive linemen in the entire country headed their way. So that's going to be really, really big get for them. Future outlook. I've got it at a 14 out of 25. Um, I just think there are too many things that sort of count against them, um, that keep them from having long-term sustained success and be able to compete for Pac-12 championships. And they did just have a pretty poor season overall. Um, so my future outlook for them is maybe coming back into bowl eligibility, but not necessarily competing for the Pac-12 North right out of the gate. If they were able to compete for the Pac-12 North out of, out of the gate, that, that would blow my mind. Um, as far as what they're able to do in 2020, I still think they could have a pretty good season. I think seven or eight wins isn't out of the question, uh, which gives me an overall grade for Stanford of 70 out of a hundred. Oh, you were super generous, Ralph. Super, super generous. I gave Stanford a 17 for relevance. They were more relevant when they were in until the last two years when they were possibly in the national championship conversation. People are saying, will this intellectual brutality hold up against some of the uh, the national brands, the, you know, the Alabamas, Clemson? Will it hold up against them? And now intellectual brutality is broken. Like it is actually broken. No idea what's going on with it. And so their relevance has taken a die for me the last couple seasons. So they get a 17. Uh, for stability, I give them a 15. Uh, they haven't had coaching turnover, but their overall record is going down. 
They are, they don't, and like I said, the br- brutality is broken. I don't know what they're going to be. They have a good quarterback in Davis Mills, former five-star recruit. But what does the future look like for them? Did David Shaw wait too long and should have taken a head coaching job? Are they going to have to change the way they play? Their skill, I, I just don't know, Ralph. So I gave them a 15 for stability. And even though that this is a good program, though, like this is a well-known program. People like it. They can get kids. It's, you know, for recruiting, I gave them a 19 for recruiting. Like you said, they do the best. They There's no way that they could recruit better. I, well, actually, no, sorry. The only way that they could recruit better is if they got better skill position players. They do a great job with the offensive line, tight ends, quarterbacks, and some defensive players as well. Do a phenomenal job. Paul, Paulson Adebo is probably going to be a top 15 pick, their corner. The thing that I, they just need better skill position players. They don't have the depth. They are Wisconsin West. They're a team who wants to out-physical you, beat you up, run the football, and throw the football when necessary, but they don't have the requisite athletes on the outside to be able to be a, you know, a dominant offense like that. Um... For recruiting, I give them a 15. I'm sorry, for um, the recruiting, I gave them a 19. Future outlook of 15. Because I don't know what this team is going to be. I, I, I don't. I, I don't know what's going on with David Shaw. I don't know what's going on with the offensive line. They had, what, 12 or 13 uh, guys in the transfer portal, w- whether it's they're not redshirting them or the guys can't get into grad school. Whatever it is, the system is broken. Like you, if if your guys who graduated from Stanford aren't being accepted into the grad school to play football, like some something's up. Like you have to, even if you need to lower the standard a little bit, because these guys are actually playing a sport. They have a full time job while they're going to school, while the other kids just going going to school. But I digress. Stanford has a sixty six. Okay, uh, that moves us on to UCLA. Um, and uh, and a quick reminder that I very much underestimated UCLA this year. Uh, Yeah. He said one win. Ha! They got five. But it was like... Almost got to a ball. It's it's one of those things of like underestimated in like, is the car going to crash in the first hundred yards or is it going to crash right before the finish line? Like the point is the car is still going to crash. And so... (laughs) um but i did say did i not say that uh that one win was going to be in the service of something greater and they were going to be moving forward into uh, a more positive existence i did say that and i I do think that they have a brighter future um which will which is you know be in part buoyed by this uh, giant recruiting class that they've they've just brought in um i just hope that they give chip kelly the time um to 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 work this out because i think that uh, he's he's in a full rebuild but he's actually building something it's not just you know uh, desperation um and, and i i think they might be able to get stuff done but i gave them uh, a 17 out of 25 for relevance um and I think that that's you know Chip carries or Chip Kelly is really carrying the weight of that right now. The fact that it's in L.A., uh, the little brother school in L.A., but it's in L.A. and they have Chip Kelly 
that's keeping them relevant. But as far as like, you know, Josh Kelly's gone, who could you name off that team outside of their quarterback? And could you even name their quarterback? You know, that's going to be a little bit of an issue for them. They definitely need some players to step up. I've never seen a team in the middle of an 8 million person market have less uh, name recognition than this UCLA (laughs) Bruins squad. It's wild. Um, So they really need some players to sort of step up and stand out. Um, I think 17 you know, maybe the lowest you could even go being a team in LA is 15. So 17 is not the best grade in the world um, uh, for them, but I, I, they, they are somewhat relevant, but not as much as they should be for stability. I gave them a 14 uh, at this point. We did this a while ago and I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to, to come up with the reason why, but I, I, what I really think that it has to do with is all of the players that left the program. Um, when Chip Kelly came on. And so this is a this is a number that's sort of bottomed out and building back to where it needs to be. Um, you know, as much as even you and I have talked about whether the assistant coaches are the right people for the job, uh, they're there. They did just lose Paul Rhodes to Arizona, um, but they, they have had a little bit of stability after uh, Jim Mora. But the, the instability really comes from the players end, uh, whether it was just players that 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 didn't necessarily want to play for Jim Mora or that Chip Kelly didn't want to play for him. There's just been way too much turnover lately on this team uh, and they're not winning. And that's a big part of it. Um, recruiting. Uh, I feel like I gave them a 16 out of 25. I feel like they're doing a good job. Um, we'll see if my grade is too low or too high based on how some of them develop, you know, they spent almost a third of this class on linebackers. Um, everybody in this class is very tall, which was yeah. a good move after yeah. last year. <laughs> uh, everybody in this class is very tall. Everybody in this class has a really good frame. So we'll see how they're able to build them up. Um, they, they did get a full class though. when for a minute, it looked like, you know, Hey, does anybody want to go to UCLA? And, and, you know, Chip Kelly's recruiting, techniques are are a little bit wild and sort of weird but you would like to see them get back into the conversation for some of the four and five stars that they were pulling um when jim mora was there but at the same time you want those four and five stars to actually like the game of football and and you know that that was an issue for them for a while uh and then uh future outlook i gave them an 18 out of 25 which is one of the higher grades that i gave out um especially for the pac-12 south and so um, I do think they are on the way up. Could they win the Pac-12 South next year? This is going to sound crazy. You thought they might this year, George, but I think that they actually have, they're the dark horse to maybe do it next year, which would surprise a whole lot of people. I do still think they're two, year, two years out from, from really contending, um, but uh, they're going to be much better um, than they were this year. I can guarantee that. Uh, so I have them with a total score of 65 out of 100. Oh, so you won't be picking them to win one one game again next year. You'll pick them to win three, no. which, which means they'll win eight. No, yeah. I, 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 I have them at a minimum of seven. Okay. <laughs> um, for relevance, I gave UCLA a 16. It's UCLA, still a big name, even though they're coming off of their, a de- their worst decade in football history. Uh, four consecutive losing seasons, but they're still in LA. It's still UCLA. It's still a big deal. The basketball team being better would would help. The basketball team sucked too. 
So, the, like, <laughs> those two things, like, the basketball team is what they have. Like, it's opposite day at USC and UCLA. USC's football is important. Their basketball is irrelevant. And UCLA, their basketball was one of the historically greatest college football, college basketball programs ever. And then their football program um, was still more relevant than USC's basketball program. So it, it it's just bad what's going on at UCLA right now. But it's still UCLA, the most applied to university in the entire world. Uh, stability, I give them 17. I don't think Chip Kelly's going anywhere. He likes what he's doing. Team's getting better. They need some new – I'm putting the – them in stable because they didn't I don't know if they replaced enough coaches for me <laughs> they have to get this defense shored up because it's atrocious I mean it's just like cutting a hot knife cutting through butter uh 17 for recruiting doing a decent job but it needs to be better in LA it's gotta be right it's gotta be you got a lot going for you they they should change their uniforms though. I I, I would like their their uniforms feel too nice. They feel like nice guy uniforms. They need to be a little little more menacing. Um, future outlook. I give them an eighteen. You are a little more hopeful than me that they can win the Pac twelve South. But that but but then when I think about it, Arizona State they're kind of going to be on par with them. USC, good God, who who knows what's going on? Like that, like they could go twelve and zero or or five and seven next year. You got Arizona, n- not competitive for it. Utah's going to be down some. Colorado, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you, Ralph. I'm I'm going with the seven. Yeah, I'm going I'm going with the seven wins too, dude. Um, and a potential dark horse. Pac-12 South champion, not the whole Pac-12 champion, for a grand total of 68. All right, then. Um, let's see here. Uh, that, that brings us to USC. Uh, this was a weird one. Um, I gave them probably the, the tied for the highest score as far as relevance, because if we are following the maxim that, um, you know, all press is good press, as far as just keeping your name out there, you know, they've had a lot of bad press (laughs) recently and uh, they, they had a quite a bit this decade that they, they had to deal with. Um, But USC is still probably the most talked about team in this conference. They maybe always will be. It's, you know, when you turn on the Fox pregame show and you got Reggie Bush sitting next to Matt Leinart, it's hard not to think about, you know, what essentially might be, uh, the, one of the greatest college football teams ever put together. Um, you know, the NFL is full of Trojans. The current Trojans who underperformed are full of NFL talent. Um, you know, even, even, uh, <laughs> even the fact that, you know, they're underperforming doesn't change that, you know, everybody wants a piece of Keaton Slovis right now, a true freshman quarterback who went from under-recruited to a, to a superstar in LA. So, um, you know, the, every, every single thing that USC touches, whether it's good or bad, becomes a news item, especially in a, you know, kind of a soft press um, conference where, you know, I think every other, every other conference in the country, at least, you know, has more attention paid to their football programs or at least equal, um, you know, 
the, the, we're really sort of carried and buoyed by USC. So I got them at a 24 out of 25 as far as relevance uh, stability. I've got them at a 10, which is, I believe, the second lowest grade or tied for the second lowest grade that I gave out. No, it's the second lowest grade that I gave out. Um, and y- you know why, and I know why. It's, you know, the fact that 99% of their fan base wants their coach gone and they hired a new athletic director to come in and objectively evaluate that. <laughs> and he disagrees. He disagrees with the entire fan base. Um, and so, you know, that, that and it's affecting their recruiting, uh, which P.S., USC, the fact that they can still slip and fall into a Drake Jackson or slip and fall into a Gary Bryant is the reason that I have them at a 15 out of 25. And even though they're dead last in the Pac-12 right now, they are still going to get special game-changing players, and that's got to be frustrating for the other 11 teams. That even in a down year, the reason that USC is dead last right now is because they only have 12 signees. They're going to get up to between 20 and 25, and those guys are going to be able to play football. You know, they're not going to be terrible. They're all going to be guys that, you know, Oregon State or Utah or Washington State would take at a very minimum, right? So, you know, I I think that, you know, USC about the lowest they can get in recruiting is a 15, and that's where I have them right now. And then future outlook's weird for me because uh, things are not looking up for them, but they still have one of the best shots to win the Pac-12 South of anybody (laughs) next year, especially with who they're bringing back, which is wild. So I have them uh, at a 15 there, which, which, you know, for a program as dysfunctional as they've been to be a 64 out of a hundred is, is, is pretty amazing. And that's, that's where I have them. Ralph, this is our biggest differential. I think of the whole day. I have UCLA as relevant. I have them as a 23. They are topical. They matter. The problem is, is that this is a case of all publicity is not good publicity as well, because some of their publicity about Clay Helton is causing a recruiting instability. So they get a 23 there. They are a name brand. People care about them. It matters. I mean, even Alabama will play them. <laughs> it just so happens Alabama's caught them twice in, de- in, in bad situations. So they get a 23. Uh, and But how ironic is it if Bryce Young wins the Alabama starting quarterback job for him to go destroy USC? How crazy would that be? In the first game of the season. And that's just it. More people will be talking about USC's loss than talking about any other conference member's win. And that's what makes them so relevant. That's yep. wild. And so it's going to be all up to Oregon the next week to beat Ohio State and Eugene. Um, for stability, I give them a 10. A 10. Like I'm like, when you're when everybody wants your coach fired or the majority of your fan base wants you fired and everybody's hanging on by a threat, you don't know who's coming back. Who's I mean, how how can he hire a defensive coordinator right right now? I mean, who's going to leave because you want an experienced guy, a successful guy? Who's going to leave their job to come coach with, with Clay Helton? Unless they give him like a 4-year $1.4 million a year and he's like, "Okay, well, if I get fired after the first year, at least I'll take these coins and go somewhere else." It'll be a financial choice for them. So uh, he gets a 10 there. 
they get a 10 there. Recruiting, I give them a 20. Give them a 20 in recruiting because last year's recruiting class was ranked 20th. But Keaton Slovis was severely underranked. Chris Steele and Brew McCoy, who were five-star kids, transferred, well, four and a five-star kid transferred in. Like, that's a top 10 recruiting class probably. Or at least right up there with, with Oregon's. So I give them a twenty, dude. They're the, the, they're gonna bat. They're gonna finish this year probably what a top twenty six, twenty eight probably in recruiting. It depend. I mean, it really depends on how they finish out. I I expect them to maybe be around late thirties, mid thirties. Well, 30s. they're they're gonna back in to the middle of the pack. To like yeah. like they're gonna their worst recruiting class is still gonna be better than. Washington State, Arizona, uh, you know, uh, Cal probably, you know, like they're they're going to be better than most people. So, yeah, so that's where I got them. So I got an 18 for their future outlook because the because the faucet could come on at any point in time like this could turn like if Clay Helton figures it out, something magical happens, then. Guess what? With the new coaching staff, the guys that he's bringing in, this could be an undefeated team. Like it's crazy. Their 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 variance is so big. Five and seven to twelve and zero. It's incredible. So I got them for a grand total of seventy one. Ralph. All right, seventy one. So that is the biggest difference so far. Seven, yep. right? Okay. Um, Utah is a weird one. Um, I have them at 18 out of 25, and they're all a little bit weird, but Utah I have uh, 18 out of 25 for relevance, and I think that like maybe the highest they could possibly be is like a 21, 22, and that's if they had made the college football playoff. More people are talking about Utah than maybe have talked about them since Alex Smith was um, at quarterback, and uh, it w- What's crazy is the last couple of months, I would really only hear Utah talked about in the context of like, man, we really don't want Utah in the playoff. We don't know anything about them. Like it wouldn't be fun. And so Utah's, even in Utah's relevance, there was irrelevance. And that, that was, that had to be frustrating for Utah fans. And I could see what kind of maybe gives them a little bit of a little brother syndrome on, on online sometimes. Um, but I gave them an 18 out of 25 as far as, you know, relevance. And obviously some of the recruiting goes into that, um, as well. Uh, but for stability, I gave them a 22 out of 25. This could potentially be even higher. Uh, the players they bring in tend to not transfer out. Uh, even though Solomon Enos, their four-star wide receiver commit from a couple of years back, uh, just tweeted, thank you, Utah. <laughs> and, and then his parents were retweeting a bunch of stuff about how we don't, uh, they don't use him and all that stuff. So they might be about to lose their highest profile receiver, but for the most part, you don't see a lot of guys transfer out of the program. You see guys come in, spend four, maybe five years. They graduate a lot of guys. They've had the same, um, you know, head coach for longer than anybody else. Uh, I think the biggest issue for them as far as stability is almost always there seem to always be cycling through different offensive coordinators. 
you know, bringing old ones back and firing ones and losing ones to other jobs. So just as far as the coaches that they have running uh, things on the offensive side of the ball, um, I think keeps this from being even higher. Uh, Recruiting, I have them at a 15 out of 25. It is crazy how um, little traction they're able to get with national recruits, despite being able to compete on a national level. I've never really understood that, especially because uh, Salt Lake's a pretty great place to live. Um, and uh, the they give you a lot of support there. Um, the, the fans do. Um, you know, it, yeah, it can be a little cold, you know, come visit time or whatever. And maybe it's a little bit different than California or Texas. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they are sending people to the NFL and competing on a high level. They should be getting better players. Um, and then uh, future outlook. You know, I, I I have them taking a dip next year, but you know that they're not going to dip forever. So, you know, I have them at a 20 out of 25, and that could be even higher, but I'm taking into consideration that I think that they'll have sort of a one-year transition period where things are, you know, where they do struggle with some of the teams that they beat the snot out of this year, uh, which puts them at a 75 out of 100 overall. Oh, as as we go down the list of gaps get bigger. Um Utah, I gave them a 14 for relevance, Ralph. They get, they're not very relevant. They're in the national championship conversation and everybody's saying, ah, Utah, whatever. Yeah, you know, just brushing over them. And then as far as, like, they don't win the big games. They've had two opportunities to win the Pac-12. It hasn't, hasn't happened. They, they had everything set up for them. Did not do it. Uh, and a couple years before that, they got close to the Pac-12 South, didn't get it closed out. And it seems like that this was their year. They had an opportunity, let it fall by the wayside. That Texas loss was just just brutal. Um, kind of reminded me of when uh, ASU won 10 games with Rudy Carpenter and then didn't make a major bowl even though they thought they should make one of the the major yep. bowls and then they got destroyed by Texas yep. <laughs> in a bowl game is very kind of parallel. Seasons. Yeah. Cause they, it seems like when they get up against uh superior, like some really, really talented players at different positions, cause te- Texas has got five-star guys all over the place too. They, they don't seem to do very well um, except for against USC. Well, no, they lost USC too. Weird. Yep. Hmm. Uh, stability. I give him 23. Kyle Whittingham. Ha- I mean, I can't even imagine how many job offers he's gotten. He's there because he wants to be there. He's at Utah because he wants to be there. But I would imagine that Baylor comes, comes knocking at his door. Now that Matt rule is going to the Carolina Panthers. I, that that's one of the guys whose door I'd be knocking at. That's a good point. I think, you know, uh, the, you know, three years ago there was some rumors connecting Todd Graham to to Baylor, and I think the longer that you go without a job in college football, the the more people think that you're washed up, even if your record was good. So I don't think that you know Graham has any chance out there, unfortunately. But getting somebody like Kyle Whittingham, you know, that could be a 10, 15 year commitment, you know, for for them, and and that could be a really really big deal. That that might be good for them to look into, uh, but that would be tough uh, tough for Utah. Oh well. yeah, that would. Devastate them for recruiting. I give them a fourteen. It's got to be better, especially when you've been having good seasons. It's just got to be better. 
And uh, for future outlook, I give them a 15, only a 15. This is not a team that's, I don't think they're close to a Pac-12 championship, especially with losing their marquee players. They did. It's not like they brought in more, so they're going to have to develop those. They're years away from being seriously winning a Pac-12 championship, even if they win the South again. Um, and then a national championship, just that, let's not even talk about that right now. Okay. Even though I like the so now, program, now, I just, now our biggest gap huh? is nine. So now our biggest gap yep. is nine. All right, then, uh, Washington, your favorite team. Uh, <laughs> they are, uh, they're, they're fairly relevant, but at the same time, um, yeah, I gave them a 22 out of 25. Uh, they, you know, they, they played, um, in the Fiesta Bowl recently. They've always got guys getting drafted. Um, there's been a lack of excitement around their program though, even though they, you know, had a high profile quarterback this year and they had a multi-year starter before that. There just never seems to be a ton of juice around the offense of this program. And offense is what really drives the numbers, right? That's what uh, is is the super sexy thing. And so, um, you know, I think more people pay attention to, to with even though Stanford's offense wasn't all that great, you know, with the whole Bryce Love conversations and Christian McCaffrey uh, conversations, people pay more attention to Stanford's offense than they do Washington's. And I think that's the only thing that keeps this number from being as high as it possibly could be because, you know, they, they, they are a very relevant team to recruits, to the media. Uh, but for some reason, they just don't have that one thing that really puts them over the top. Um, they, they just need a, they need a breakout star. Uh, I feel like, um, stability. Uh, they obviously just had a head coach completely walk away from the game and they fired their offensive coordinator. So they, they took a little bit of a hit here. Uh, but I still have them as a 19, which is good. You know, they hired from within the head coach and waiting thing almost never works. And uh, in this case, it, it, you know, worked out for them. So I gave them a 19 out of 25 recruiting. They are, they're fantastic. They're a fantastic team uh, when it comes to just getting talent to come in. Uh, I have them at 22 out of 25. The only way that that could be higher for me um, is if they could always, you know, if they didn't struggle to lock down the top, top talent in Washington year in, year out. Um, you know, I obviously I live in Arizona and I watch the top talent leave the state every single year. And I'm adjacent to California where the top talent leaves every single year. Um, it, so it's expected to, that that might happen in Washington too. But, you know, they need to hold on to guys like G Scott. And I think that, you know, one of the, the hits that I gave them was just not really having a super sexy offense. And, you know, th- that that's the reason that a guy like G Scott leaves to go to Ohio State over uh, over Washington. Uh, and then um, for future outlook, I gave them a 21. Um, they're going to be competitive no matter what. Uh, they're always going to have that home field advantage. Uh, no matter what, they are chock full of talent. There is no reason to expect that um, that they will continue to have any type of drop-off like they had this year so long as they bring in a decent offensive mind. I think that's really what it's all going to come down to. So I uh, maybe was even a little more generous than I should be as far as future outlook, but I, I really believe that this team isn't going to stay down for too long. So that puts them at an 84 oh. out of 100, which is, I believe, 
my second highest score uh, that I gave out. Oh, to you, Dub? Oh, God. Um, So, Ralph, for relevance, I gave them a 20. They're relevant. People, if you say you beat Washington, it's a good win. It's newsworthy. You know, they're not super flashy. They had Jacob Eason. Didn't amount to what it, but it's still, Washington is still a national brand. They, they feel a lot, they're, they're kind of in that Texas boat where they have, they're relevant nationally, but they, they haven't really been as good as you really think that they've been. Um, but, but with that all said, I give them a 20. They're recruiting well, like they're putting guys in the NFL, coaching them up. I like that. The relevance of 20. For stability, I give them a 22. Even though Chris Peterson left, everybody else is still there, pretty much. They fired the offensive coordinator. Jimmy Lake, smooth transition. They kept the recruiting class together. Everything seems, you know, like it's going as well as it can right now. It's kind of like a transition that what happened with Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma. Hope it works out for the dogs because I'm a back-to-pack guy. So. Better Washington is if Oregon beats them, even better. Uh, for recruiting, I gave them a 22 because they are putting it down in recruiting. It, it could be better if they if if Oregon, Washington, and USC, and the, and we know that Stanford recruits really well too, and then Arizona State. If you can get those five, if you can get two of them in the top 10, two of them in the top 20, and then one of them in the top 25. I think that will overall make the Pac-12 stronger, and and you're going to be taking recruits away from the big boy, uh, from the other conferences. And when you're constantly having those in there, then you're going to have more high draft picks. You're going to be more well respected, which matters. So I give them a 22 for 19 future outlook. I give them a 19. There they got quarterback. Who's going to be their quarterback? Offensive offensive coordinator got fired, not just left. So what is that going to look like for the future? Their offense hasn't been great the last few years. Gave them a 19 for a grand total of 83, Ralph. Uh, all right, let's all finish up with Washington State. Um, Washington State's relevance is the highest score that I gave them, and it's just so heavily dependent upon Mike Leach. Mike Leach is probably 12 of these 17 points. Uh, people talk about Washington State because of Mike Leach. If you score five, if you were a player at Washington State and you score five touchdowns on offense, the national media is going to talk about Mike Leach getting you those five touchdowns. They're not going to talk about you. Um, and so you know he's sort of become a national media darling. He keeps him his name in the news by doing weird stuff, like he tweeted the other day of a a a bear showing its genitals to a camera that had a picture that said, send nudes on it. Like that's the kind of stuff that he spends his time doing. So of course people are going to talk about it. Um, the offense scores a lot of points, you know, he's written books and um, I, you know, I think that Washington state has some relevance um, as far as, you know, we talked about Colorado just being part of the national football conversation you know, that you get that Washington State flag on set at every, um, you know, college game day. Uh, so they, you know, there's that. Uh, but, you know, as far as big time players, you don't get a lot of people in the first round. 
conversation. Um, you know, they've won a lot of games recently. Uh, but you know, I don't know. Uh, basically Gardner Minshew and Mike Leach are going to keep this program's name in the news. Uh, and other than that, it's going to be really tough to get any oxygen, uh, for stability. I have them at a 15 out of 25. This number should be higher, but they took a big hit for how they performed this year. They actually did a pretty good job of just sort of winning a lot of games over time. Uh, Mike Leach likes to point out that, you know, going into the year that they had won any more, more games, I think overall, it was either more games overall or more Pac-12 games than anyone else in the uh, Pacific Athletic Conference um, during his tenure. Uh, and also, um, you know, they, they, they are competitive in the games they lose. So there's that. Uh, recruiting, I gave them a 14 out of 25. They have not really been able to capitalize on Mike Leach's star status to get some elite guys in, although they have been doing better in recent years than they did before he was there. Um, that's pretty self-explanatory. They don't get elite guys, but they're doing a decent job, so that gives them a 14 out of 25. And future outlook, I am uh, I'm not as optimistic um, because I just don't know how sustainable it is for Mike Leach to be in his position and be, you know, he's a great coach when you're winning, uh, but when you're losing and he's not necessarily taking accountability for any of the things that are going on and making news for all sorts of other weird stuff. And there's discord on the staff, then, you know, then things aren't great. So it's just a matter of like, are things going to be good or not? And I don't really have a crystal ball on that right now. As much as I like to make predictions, this one's tough for me. So I gave them a 15 out of 25 on that. And that's just because, uh, they could win nine games next year, and it wouldn't surprise me. They could win five games. It wouldn't surprise me either. Um, and if they win five games, things could get real bad, real sour, real quick out there. But I currently have them at an overall score of 61. Out well, of it better not get too sour because they just gave him a contract extension. So, um, I wait, what was your score for Washington State? 61. Okay. We're close on this one, too. I gave him a 11 for relevance. You gave him a 17. And you said 12 of the points were Mike Leach. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah. but when they but they say Mike Leach, but then don't say Washington State. They just say Mike Mike Leach. So I former Texas Tech head coach yep, Mike. Leach. Exactly. So they don't get the buzz and the bounce from all the pirate conversation, all of that. The biggest thing Washington State has going for them is the game day flag streak. They're having old crimson flying at every college football game day on ESPN. That's the biggest thing they got going. Them and uh, him and Gardner Minshew. So that's their relevance right there. Uh, stability. I gave him a, a 22 for stability. Leach isn't going anywhere. He'll blame everybody else and fire everybody else and he got a new contract. So that that situation there, there, and they are pretty much, they are a flat line team. They're going to be, you know, bowl eligible every year. Cause they're not going to play a tough non-conference schedule. They're going to be bowl eligible. And then they're going to, uh, um, yeah, they're, they're going to be bowl eligible and then they are going to, 
uh, you know, like occasionally have a bump up year, kind of like Oregon State, like we like we were saying, or Washington State a couple years ago, win a whole bunch of games, win 10 games or last year, win 10 games and then don't get a, a national championship opportunity. You know what I mean? Sorry, a New Year's Six Bowl opportunity. So that's what they got for stability. Recruiting. I gave them an 11. Like, they, they do okay. They get a bunch of wide wide receivers, uh, some quarterbacks that you haven't heard of, that Mike Leach, he develops them. Like, they're not bringing in impact players. Occasionally, they'll hit guy on the transfer market or something like, like that, but the recruiting is always going to be at the bottom of the Pac-12. It's hard. Like, honestly, like where it was hard to get people to Eugene, it's even harder to get people to Pullman. Pullman is, I mean, like if you've ever been to the Pullman airport, there's like you can throw a rock from one end to the other end. And like it's just like if you get to your gate 10 minutes before your plane, you won't you won't miss it. Like you're not going to get stuck in the security line because it's only eight people long. Um. But, I mean, it's a cool town, but it's still tough to get kids, for, especially from warm weather, weather climates, because you know it's going to snow, weather's going to be bad, all of that. And last thing, future outlook. I give them a 15. They're going to be somebody who's going to be a thorn in some Pac-12 team's side. They're not going to be able to beat Washington very much because Jimmy Lake's got the formula. Same thing with uh, Cal because they're getting better. Justin Wilcox and Tim DeRuiter know how to beat them. Uh, Oregon's turned a corner with them. It's going to be tough for them in the Pac-12 North. Uh, So, yeah. So, their future outlook is a 15 for a total of 59, Ralph. So, what's your second lowest score that that you gave out? Mine was Oregon State at 53 and I felt pretty positive about it. Yeah. uh, Mine was Oregon state at 50 and I feel very positive about them. Like I feel very positive about (laughs) Oregon state. I feel more positive about Oregon state, Colorado, who only had a 60 than I do about probably Washington state and really Utah too. Right. And then, so the, that's what makes Arizona's score so insane. <laughs> I have them at l- less than half of my lowest score. Uh, me too. I'm at a 24. That's bad, <laughs> dude. That's bad. If they're if they're good next year, if they find a way to be good, it's going to make us look real stupid. But it'd be good for them. Ralph, it's it's not happening. <laughs> like that's one of those things. <laughs> if it if it happens, then you know. God, God bless them, you know, but they're going to need. Let me pull up their um, their 2020 schedule. Because if you look at it, then they may have a path, I guess. But let's let's see. So what so what what? record would be proving us wrong because oh i think i think going to a bowl i think going to a bowl would okay would be proving us wrong i think six wins would be so they play hawaii in arizona this year though 
That's going to be tough. Yep, because they lost Hawaii this last year. Um, and they play Portland State, which they're going to beat. Uh, no, they're going to beat Portland State. They're going to right, we'll demolish them. They play at Texas Tech. Can't promise what's going to happen there. Yeah. And in their Pac-12 schedule, they play Arizona State, Colorado, Oregon, Stanford, USC, and then at Oregon State, at UCLA, at Utah, and at Washington. Oh God, they play they play all the good teams in the Pac-12 North. Oh boy. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a rough one for them, man. It's it four wins would be four wins would be uh like okay based on that schedule. And six wins would be really good. Well, they're going to get, they, they should get two in the non-conference with Hawaii and Portland State. They're going to be. They lost, They just lost to Hawaii. Though. Yeah, but they, they were playing lost in Hawaii. Hawaii this year. Okay. <laughs> so All I'm right. going to give them an edge only because they're playing at home. So you got Oregon, Stanford, USC, Washington, and then probably, I mean, those those are pretty much guaranteed losses. And then you got Utah, UCLA, Arizona State, because that I mean, because obviously that's a rivalry game. And Colorado or and Oregon State are all gonna be tough games too. They could they could go <laughs> yeah. 0 for nine, dude. Right, I know. That's what I'm saying. That's why we gave them this low grade. But like, oh. I don't I I don't want them to be. If bad. they win, I would agree with you, Ralph. If they win four games next year, and three of the actually, if they win four games next year and three of them didn't come from the non-conference, then they would have had a good season. Yeah. Wow. Because yeah. they could go over yeah. impact twelve games. Good grief. Um. Yeah, guys. So that is the outlook in the state of every Pac-12 team. You guys can send us your grades, your rankings uh, to I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. You can hit us on Twitter at Ralph Amsden, at George Reister. Thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. Peace out. Catch you guys later. <laughs>